When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Natasha Devon, MBE, is a writer and mental health campaigner. She founded the Mental Health Media Charter and wrote the young adult novel, Toxic. Today I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So Natasha, hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Uh, Apart from being a bit perimenopausal and a bit warm, I'm all good. Natasha, this is all about letter writing. It's lovely to have you on. Thank you. Um, so uh, are you much of a letter writer? Massively, yeah. I'm big into um, thank you notes and people rarely send them these days, but I think it's the way I was raised that I, I just think it's polite to always send a thank you note. And um, recently my my great great auntie I think she is yeah she's my nan's auntie so that would make her my great great auntie but she she died a couple of years ago and um, when they cleaned out her house they found just about three shoe boxes full of thank you letters that I'd written she'd always send me three pounds on my birthday and then I would reply but like with an essay because I've got two brothers and they they were raised to write thank you notes as well but they'd just write you know dear auntie Peggy thank you for the three pounds you know love whereas I'd be like today I did this and this is my favorite subject at school and I'm watching this on tv and yeah 
I got a thank you note this week and I didn't get to open it because my my children's great auntie was around at my house. I was away for the weekend and my children's great auntie was around at the house. Um, and uh, she, Auntie Linda, who lives by the sea, that's what they call her. And she was in my house and she saw this letter. And because it is postmarked from Buckingham Palace, she uh, she was like, Can you You've got a letter from Buckingham Palace. So... She, uh, it, it's not actually from Buckingham Palace, it's from Clarence House, but it was, it's from uh, Camilla, and she just sent me, look, there you go, thank you very much for your wonderful support you have offered to my reading room. I mean, it wasn't much effort, Camilla, but it's thanks, it's nice to get a thank you note, isn't it? But doesn't that make you feel special and appreciated to get that? Oh, God, it really did, especially because Auntie Linda, who lives by the sea, made such a massive deal out of it, <laughs> like... I was like, yeah, sure, open it. I get that sort of post all the time. And she was just like, oh, la da da. Post all the time. Yeah, it's really nice. But she's not just written thanks for the thing, she's written a little bit. So she, you know, our, our future queen is grateful for your letter writing, is what I think. Setting a good standard from the top there. <laughs> <laughs> I, also, I also write um, letters from my cat to my mum. <laughs> Uh, because this started because uh, my mum's at an age now where all of her friends have grandchildren and my mum could not be less bothered about not having grandchildren but they're sort of sorry for her so they're always like oh I'm sure it will happen for you at some point and you don't know what you're missing and and my mum's like precisely I don't know what I'm missing like <laughs> it's it's fine um but I, I did point out to her that she's got a grand kitten and and therefore, yeah, now they're in, they're in correspondence. And how does the cat feel about this? I like to talk to my cat about, like, you know, European politics and things. So the cat's very, very learned, actually, my cat. I have one of those cats. Actually, one of my colleagues at LBC said the other day that I've got a metropolitan liberal elite cat because <laughs> she's a house cat. She's very spoiled and she's scared of everything. So she just looks slightly startled all the time. Did you pay one million pounds for that cat? No, nowhere near. You paid one pound for that cat. <laughs> Somewhere between. Because I personally don't believe in paying for animals. <laughs> I think animals are basically pets that I have had in my life. I've only ever come from somebody's had a litter of kittens unexpectedly uh, and or like a relative has died. And so you have inherited their dog. That is that is how animals. But people these days are spending one million pounds on cats and dogs. I find it. It was weird, actually, when we insured her, we had this conversation with the insurance company where they asked how much we paid for her. And then they said, oh, and and if and if she dies, would would you want a clause that says you get that money back? And we were like, no, it just seems such a clinical way. It's like, yeah. I'll do that with kids. (laughs) I'll do it with kids. I mean, definitely. um, It might make it a bit tempting to harm them. (laughs) They had insurance on them. Um, that is so weird. Like, what financial settlement it would be tolerable if your cat died? Also, how do you prove it? Could have just gone missing. It, yeah, exactly. I, um, I'm learning French at the moment, and um, they don't say pet; they say um, animal de compagnie, a companion animal. And that is so much better way of describing it, I think, because you don't own them, do do you? They just live with you. I, I mean, my cats barely live with me. My cats are not elite cats. My cats came from 
during lockdown, a cardboard box outside someone's house in my constituency. Uh, and, um, like, obviously, I, I'd arranged to meet them there, but she couldn't come out for the house because it was lockdown. And so, uh, yeah, she's like, my cat's on a load of kittens, put it on, like, the local Yardley Facebook. I was like, I'll have some of your kittens. Uh, and, um, yeah, they don't stay in the house at all. They're maybe, I mean, they're like, travellers they're getting fed all over this neighbourhood my my cats are the opposite of spoiled cats so the letters that your mother sends to the cat they are loving letters of hope for the future yeah I think she she tries to channel messages to me via the cat so she'll say you know I, I hope I hope mum's well please remind her to do this thing that I reminded her about a, a couple of weeks ago she appreciates that she has such a well-mannered grand kitten and she now has a response you know when people say have you got grandchildren she says no but I have got a grand kitten that writes to me what can your what can your baby human grandchild do and also I mean even when they can write it's like getting blood out of a stone getting them to write a letter to anybody so you know you're definitely on a considerably better deal with a kitten I'd say uh, than a child I mean they don't talk back as much. They'll write the letter when asked. Um, I, I think your, your mum is onto something. Um, so, I mean, you made yourself sound slightly like a crazy cat lady, which I like. Oh, I'm, I'm totally embracing that label. That's fine. I really wanted to become one when I got cats, but my cats have such disdain for me that I, I can't even obsess about them. It's so... I mean, I'm barely part of their life. So I did want to become a crazy cat lady. I really like the idea of like... I met a woman yesterday at the Baton Relay and she brought her cat out in a pushchair. <laughs> I've seen this. I think it's brilliant. I was like that. Oh my God, there's a cat. It was like a really big one. It looked a bit like a Maine Coon, but a bit smaller than a Maine Coon, but it looked like a Maine Cooney cat. And uh, it was there. It wanted to see the Baton Relay. It wanted to take part in the history of its city. Who could blame it? So it was brought out in a cat push chair. She, I was like, do people look at you like you're crackers? And she was like, no, no, people are just pleased to see the cat. <laughs> I was talking to my friend, Sheru, about when we first got our cat, we got it from a woman who lives down the road. And I was describing her house and I said, it, it was literally everywhere you looked, there were just cats on top of cats. Just, I've never seen so many cats in, in my life of all different sizes. There were baby ones, you know, right up to, to adult. And I was describing it to my friend and she said, the thing about this, Tash, is you're describing this woman's house like it's goals. <laughs> and I was like, no, it is. It totally is. This is the life I want. <laughs> just cats everywhere. <laughs> just cats everywhere. Yeah, well... I mean that and learning French. You could you can probably become like a character from literature. Yeah, and I'm I'm wearing a like um I, I went to Malaysia and I got a kaftan and it is the most comfortable sort of brushed cotton kaftan. So I reckon if I get a turban and some big earrings, I'm there. I'm on it. You are aware. Uh, I mean, that is absolutely... I mean, you've got the uniform, you're learning French. You can say, like, French sentences to people as if they would understand and, ev and then give, like, a knowing look as if everybody understood you and nobody has. And you would be, like, a genuine eccentric. My French sister-in-law, funnily enough, just sent me a text message. Over the years, uh, my French sister-in-law has basically deposited any number of her neighbours slash cousins at my house because they wanted to learn English. I've had about seven of them over 
over the time that she's been married to my brother, which is nearly 20 years, I've had like seven random French young people come and live in my house. And my friend wants to send uh, her, her daughter's doing French A-level and she said, oh, is there any chance she could go and stay with them for a bit in France? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll ask them. So I said, basically, it's your turn now. Uh, my t- I'm afraid Birmingham teenagers aren't as genial or as polite as your French teenagers, but I'm going to send one over to you. And she sent back to me, uh, she said, oh, of course, we'd be really happy to have her staying with us. We will introduce her to some French culture, the garlic festival, skiing on a slag heap and metal music. So, Now, do you think th- those young people that you had come to stay with you, do you think they go back to France and speak English with a Brummie accent? Because if they I do, love- I love that for them. Yeah, I like, like Bjork. Uh, <laughs> Bjork speaks English with a Cockney accent. Like that is like absolutely brilliant. Uh, I really hope that they do. Uh, my nephews, who are bilingual, and they raised their daddies from Birmingham. They speak um, they speak French when they speak English. They have both a sort of slightly thick French accent, but also a, a Brummie accent. So they say like Yoda instead of Yoda. <laughs> uh, that is just it's so charming to listen to their. We call it Frummy because they're like French brummies. They sound so cute. Uh, and they're a bit older now. They're, they're less cute and they become teenagers, but it's they still have Birmingham accents, so that's cool. And they use Birmingham words, which I like, um, which when they try and say them to their teachers, their teachers don't recognise them, which is a bit like being a brummie politician with hands up. So uh, I've asked you to think about, have you got any, oh, I should say, have you got any letters of note that you've kept forever? Like a letter telling you you've got a job or a letter from a... Monarch. I did uh, when I I I got an MBE back in 2015 for um, services to young people, and um, when you get that letter, it's so weird because it's not there's no post stamp on it and it's not addressed. It just comes through your door, and then it inside it says, "Don't tell anybody that you've been offered this thing. Just tell us whether you want it or not." And and you think, did this come by owl? <laughs> did, did an owl drop this through my letterbox? I don't understand. But yeah, I've kept I've kept that one. And I also um I so I I don't know and I should make it clear that I don't think this anymore. And um I don't know why I wrote this, but I I remember I wrote a letter to my granddad when it during my first year at university, there was a girl in my halls that was from Manchester and she was very loud. And she was the only, she was the first person that I'd met from Manchester, the only person I'd met from Manchester at that time. So I just thought all people from Manchester were really loud. So I must have written in this letter, why are people from Manchester so loud? And he sent me back this this card and it was it had a cartoon bumblebee on the front and um it it sort of got two wings and he'd written in the wings answer to the to the manchester question and then he's he put because they have two football teams to support and have to compete with the shipping canal (laughs) (laughs) i think that's accurate (laughs) do you I think that people from Manchester are quite loud uh, and um, I think that that's probably the explanation. (laughs) I've not heard a better one. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not sort of portraying some inherent bias. Yeah, no, I like that. Your granddad's bias is about Manchester and the Queen. We're on a par there. I, I, I mean, that, that, that's, that's the sort of healthy, that's the Britain I want to live in. <laughs> <laughs> 
that is the Britain I want. One heavy load of cynicism and one sort of sentimentality. I, I like both of those things. Right then, so I've asked you to think of three different people you would want to send a letter to. So the first one is somebody who means the world to you. So who would that be? So I, I realise that this is probably quite a cliched answer, but it, it has to be my mum. It just has to. It's, um, it's cliches are cliches because they are true. And like, so, you know, your mum being epic is what you should think. So that's good. She's so epic. Do you know, I so I had my um, book launch for my novel, toxic um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, a lot of the the lbc producers came who you will probably know you've definitely spoken to them on the phone but they're mostly in their 20s early to mid 20s they're all you know very cool and you know they're, they're young people who work in media so a lot of them were there my mum turns up just charms them all and afterwards they were coming up to me going your mum is iconic and i was like guys I wrote a book. Does anyone want to acknowledge that I wrote a book? Or are we just going to talk about my mum? I mean, that is what you want, though. I mean, secretly, you do want, like, a mum who, like, you know, turns everybody's heads in a room. That is... that is. I went to the Mercury Music Prize one time. It was when Skepta won, and I sat next to his mum. What a woman! That's like that. <laughs> I really like your mum, Skepta. She was an absolute cracker of a woman. Um... Yeah, you know, great mums. Great mums make great artistic, creative people. So, and does she live in London, your mum? No, she's back in Essex. That's where I'm originally from, in in the kind of rural bit of Essex. Um, So it's... It's not that far from London, but it could not feel further away when I go home to visit. Uh, but yeah, she's um, when people meet my mum, they're always like, oh, OK, you make sense now because she's she's incredibly opinionated. And, um, you know, she's she likes to rant about things and she's very lefty like she was she was a, a women's liber so back back in the 70s so she was one of those people that was like on the women's march with a sign saying i can't believe i'm having to do this shit again you know <laughs> one of those um yeah she i mean she is pretty iconic but she's my mum got model scouted when she was in her late teens she went to the london college of fashion and um, for a long time people used to talk about how beautiful she was and she she still is like she's a very good looking woman but because she's older now she's she's in her mid 60s it's not the first thing that people notice and i'm actually really glad about that because she's got all of these other qualities and i used to get really annoyed when people were like oh your mum's so stunning and i'm and i was like yeah but that's the least interesting thing about her like have a conversation with her kind of thing yeah i mean I, it doesn't sound like much of a curse but i can't imagine <laughs> I think that we probably all quite like, but uh, I can imagine it must be really irritating to, like, you know, for people to be so bowled over by the way you look. And it doesn't matter what you wear or how you present yourself, like, for people to be, like, stopped by your beauty when you just want them to listen to, you know, the fact that, you you, you know, you're complaining about the food or something. Uh, it's just like, oh, God, this is a tedious thing that gets in the way of everything. She's she's spoken a lot, my mum, about not being um, kind of viable fertility-wise anymore. And she said, you know, a lot of women talk about how you become invisible, at, at, you know, after a certain age. And um, she loves it. 
because she's like, you know, people are actually having conversations with me and I'm old enough now that I don't care about pleasing them and I just say what I think. I can't wait to be really old. Honestly, I can't I can't wait to be like I'm already perimenopausal, so I feel like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go full on swing into it. Uh but like I can't I, I like that sort of moment of like just letting yourself be your biggest self, like just being like whatever about everything. I got it a little bit after I gave birth for the first time, which bear in mind I did that when I was like twenty three. I got sort of like there's no embarrassment that is ever going to compete with literally being split open in front of like a room full of people. Um and like you sort of don't care about things so much. But yeah, I, can't, I really can't wait for like that that poem where it's like she said, you know, when I'm old, I'm going to wear purple. I can't, I can't wait for that. I'm really looking forward. I'm going to, I'm like, you know, cat lady sort of territory. <laughs> Did you read that um, Catelyn Moran column where she talks about how when, when your premenstrual is actually the only time when you see the world as it is? And because you feel really angry and grumpy because there's a lot in the world to be angry and grumpy about, but the rest of the month, you're just off your tits on oestrogen. <laughs> Yeah, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Oh, God, I'm so annoyed just before my period. Uh, And then I'm like, when it comes, I'm like, oh, it's all right. I don't hate all my family, my job. And, uh, but she's right. It's because I do hate them. (laughs) They're just made tolerable by the hormones. Oh, God, women, we have a crappy time. Um, so you're, you're, do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got, I've got two brothers who are, um, they're much younger than me. They're, um, eight and nine years younger than me. So I'm more like a kind of second mum type, um, figure to them and uh, incredibly protective of them. Like whenever, whenever they have a a new partner, I'm like, what's their name and address? If they hurt you, I I will go round. I will go round there. Yeah, that must be nice for your mum as well to have somebody who's like tag team in it. Yeah, we we were very much because my my youngest brother was very premature. He was um, four months premature. He was he was born at twenty five weeks, um, and so in addition to all the health complications he had, he's only ten months younger than my other brother because he was so early. So my my mum really had a time of it. So I then was then the school year. Yeah, because my brother was a summer baby as well. So in addition to being so early, he's also a summer baby. So he oh, was no way that's so like having like like twins, but not like you would assume that people were twins if they were in the same school year. A lot of people did think that that they were yeah. twins. Yeah. So I was yeah very much mum's helper <laughs> during that time. God, that must have been absolutely terrifying for her to have a ten month old baby and then have a premature baby. Your mum must be absolutely nails. That is like, you know, the kind of trauma that scars. That is, must have been tough, man. It, it was a really tough time. And it, one of the things that um, is often the case with premature babies is my, my brother's lungs weren't fully developed. So he had really severe asthma. So you couldn't let him cry. You had to get to him and calm him down. Otherwise, he'd have an asthma attack and he could have died. And for the first five years of his life, he woke up every two hours. So my mum was up every two hours for five years. And so sometimes I say to her, like, mum, do you remember, you know, something that happened when I was 13? And my mum's like, nope, no memory of that at all. Was severely sleep deprived the entire time. 
Oh God, your mum is a legend for that alone. I mean, that must have been so hard on her. Yeah, no wonder she was into women's liberation. <laughs> that is the kind of experience that will make you be like, what? Oh my God, the burden of all the world is on your shoulders. Um, that is nails. So how would you sign off a letter to your mum? Well, I was thinking about this. My mum plays rhythm guitar in a blues band. Whenever I go back home, I I sometimes do guest vocals uh, with them. And I was thinking about the, the role of the rhythm guitarist is so underappreciated. It's always the lead guitarist and the vocalist that gets all the glory, but they are keeping the song together. Without them, the song means nothing, right? So I think what I would say is, thank you for being the, the rhythm guitarist in, in my life. So the second letter I asked you to write was for somebody who's no longer with us. So who would that be to? It's going to be Dr. Cochran, who was a teacher at my school. And he, how do you even go about describing this guy? Like, so <laughs> he kind of, he was really tall and he had this massive presence and he had these really bushy eyebrows that he kind of fashioned up into these owl-like peaks. That's dead, that now. That look is dead. <laughs> we need to bring it back. <laughs> yeah, and he um, his, he used to talk about how his father was a sergeant major in the army and he knew how to do this shouty thing that was the loudest sound. And it wasn't even shouting, it was this booming thing that was the loudest sound you'd ever heard in your life. And he didn't do it often, but if ever any of us were really naughty, we'd get the sergeant major treatment and it was absolutely terrifying. But he um, he was actually really into Byron. That was his thing. But I knew him because he used to direct the Shakespeare productions. We had an annual Shakespeare production at our school. And I was terrified of him, but respected him so much. And he, looking back, was actually really cool and, and edgy. He would swear at, during a time when, you know, teachers didn't really do that. When I was a kid, like, that would have been apt. I remember once a teacher said bastard, and it was literally, we talked about it for about four years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and he also was responsible, because I went to school during Section 28, and I remember we were doing The Merchant of Venice, and the the character I was playing, Antonio, is who is the merchant that, that the play is named after, is in love with his best friend Bassanio and we were talking about whether that's reciprocated because Bassanio is also in in love with Portia and he said well of course Bassanio is bisexual as many intelligent people are and it was the first time anyone had ever used the word bisexual and I I knew at that point that I fancied boys and girls but I didn't know that there was a name for that and I was thinking am I gay or no I don't think I am gay maybe I'm just a bit weird, I don't know. And then it, there was that moment of, oh, there's a name for it. And Dr. Cochrane said it, so it must be true. I mean, it lands doctor. Yeah, he's a doctor. Yeah. And he also used to do this thing called, uh, he used to get up in assembly and he used to do this thing called mistake of the month, which was um, all the teachers, if you made the mistake of the month, you, you got like um, 
a special sticker that said you'd made the mistake of the month in, in your exercise book. And it it was things like writing as well as, oppo- uh, as opposed to as well. You know, they're, they're, two, they're two separate words and you come from present to us what the mistake, the grammatical mistake of the month was. Um, yeah, he had such a profound impact on me. And yet I think that I was always so intimidated by him that I never properly... Um, conveyed that to him so that's why I'd like to write him a letter oh I mean he was obviously a very learned man he was a doctor um and we had doctors at my school and we used to just be like oh you know miss Susie's got uh period pains can you help her (laughs) it's like yeah I'm a doctor of mathematics it's like um you're no good to us I mean Dr Cochran sounds like he has all the hallmarks of a teacher who could have been quite conservative with a small C, uh, but in fact was liberating and eccentric and good. Also, we definitely need to bring that eyebrow thing back. We used to see it all the time when I was a kid. I've not seen it. I've not seen it for a long time. Although I feel like the hipsters are bringing back ridiculous moustaches a little bit more. Uh, so my husband, when the when Boris stood down, my husband was like, he, he didn't know who half the people were, the candidates. But he was like, I like that Ben Wallace one. And I was like, what is it about Ben Wallace that you like? You know, Ben Wallace, to be fair to him, has got quite a lot of good qualities that you could, one could understand why my husband might plump for him to be the Prime Minister. And it, But his reason was is he's gone bald in an old-fashioned way. He's, he's got the sides. <laughs> he's got the sides so he, like, he was like that you know like Jean-Luc Picard he was like that why does nobody go bald like that anymore? when I was a kid everybody who was bald had the sides like now everybody goes like like really really like they shave their heads and he was like that I like that Ben Wallace he's gone bald in an honest way <laughs> but you know I feel like the point that your husband was making is that going bald in that authentic old-fashioned way says something about the nature of the person which is is better than that standard answer you'd get from people when you said why do you like Boris Johnson and they'd say I like his funny hair but which tells us nothing about his about his character yeah yeah well other than that it's fake um yeah his hair is a total element of fakery that he I mean you watch him as he walks into Prime Minister's questions, he messes up his hair. It's like on purpose. Horrible. Um, so, Dr. Cochrane, what would you, how would you sign off the letter to this amazing... So he was an English teacher. That right? Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that your school did a Shakespeare play every year. That's pretty good, isn't it? We did, like, Greece. <laughs> yeah, I d- well, I went to a school that was... It was a comprehensive, but it was all girls, which is really unusual. And I think it, it you know, it... It had ideas above its station <laughs> a little bit. You know? <laughs> we didn't do Shakespeare plays so much because, because obviously growing up in Birmingham, you are right next to Stratford. So basically every year you were traipsed over to watch uh, Shakespeare plays. We used to do that quite regularly. We'd go over. And I like the fact that Shakespeare probably would have sounded like me and that never is very well re- represented when he's uh, depicted. Um, but, um, yeah, we didn't we didn't do Shakespeare plays so much. Yeah, like Greece, Little Shop of Horrors, that sort of thing. We'd, we, weren't, we weren't allowed to do Greece, famously, and we thought at the time that that was because our school were too uptight. But now I look back on that and I go, that is a story about a woman who literally changes 
everything about herself in order to get a guy. And that's literally the whole story. There's no other plot points. That's it. To be fair, you're right, there is no other plot points. There's a little bit of abortion drama, which I have to say, I feel, was left out of the uh, the the play that we did at school. Um, but, um, yeah, you're right. Although there's plenty of Shakespeare plays of people trying to pretend to be somebody that they're not. I think, basically, Greece is probably based on a Shakespeare play. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> um, so, what? how would you sign off your letter to Dr Cochrane? Great name as well. I mean, he's just... A, Cochrane is a great name. <laughs> I think I would say thank you for being weird. Yeah, weird in the best possible way. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. So the last letter I've asked you to think about is for somebody who's had an effect on your life but wouldn't necessarily know it. So who would that letter be to? There were so many contenders for this. I I had a list and I had to narrow it down. But I decided ultimately it's got to be Eddie Izzard. 
I love it when it's people who you didn't, you don't necessarily know that well as well. I love it like when people say like Taylor Swift is the person who's had the greatest effect on my life. <laughs> like that, man. Your mom must be pleased. So why is it Eddie Izzard? So I, I remember when I was in sixth form, I did um, religious studies for A-level and there was a girl in my class called Ellie. We were doing Noah's Ark and Ellie started talking about what about all the evil ducks and the evil fish that would have survived the flood? And I was like, that is such a good point. And it's also the most hilarious thing I've ever heard in my life. And she said, oh, it's not me, it's Eddie Izzard. And I was like, Eddie who? And she lent me, she had like a VHS tape of <laughs> Dress to Kill. And I remember I had to, having two brothers and one TV set, you know, I, this is why I grew up loving radio because I never got it. So I remember I had to like sneak down in the middle of the night to put this VHS tape on and watching it and going, I have never seen or heard anything like this because, you know, it's history, it's philosophy, and, but it's also a bit surreal. And I just, I, I remember it just grabbed me in a way that nothing's ever had ever had me before and and since then I would say stand-up comedy has become my thing you know like some people are into music and you know whatever but for me stand-up is I would say the the art medium that I you know I most make the effort to see new acts and you know if you wanted advice on who to see stand-up comedy wise I would be the person I would say Um, but it all started with Eddie Izzard and the thing is I mean I just find her so massively inspiring for so many reasons. I have met her once in once in the flesh, twice um, via once over the phone and once over the internet. But there's such an imbalance there in terms of, you know, when you just are such a massive fan of someone and you think I can never meet you as an equal because... I just I just love you so much that it, I'm just going to come across as a massive fangirl and and therefore you know you're going to walk away and think oh that's just another person out of my millions of fans that that adores me normal day for Eddie Izzard me I'm like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life so that's that's this immediate imbalance and that's why I thought I would write a letter because yeah, that is a better way to communicate with somebody that you don't know if you're going to act like a total right which I did on all of the occasions. I'm sure you were better than you thought you were. No, so the first occasion, I waited for her at the stage door. She came out. I said, I can't believe I'm standing in front of you and then ran away. <laughs> right. The the second time... I mean, time, yeah, I think that maybe that could have been... <laughs> yeah, ran away. I was just too overwhelmed, ran away. The second time, she was at my uncle's college doing um, a kind of inspirational speech and it was my birthday. So my uncle phoned me and then handed the phone to Eddie and said, it's my niece's birthday and she loves you. Can you say happy birthday? And and I was like, I just love you. I just love everything you do. And she was like, well, you have very good taste. And that was the end of the conversation. And then the third time I interviewed her for LBC and you can still see the video footage of it where she's talking and I'm just like, like literally head on one side, just looking totally gormless. There might as well be hearts around my face. <laughs> I cannot act like a normal person around her. And this is a problem, which is why I need to write a letter. Yes, I think that writing a letter is the solution. uh, It's like, I suppose that's the entire purpose throughout history of the love letter, because it's it's 
much easier to say that stuff, I think, if you're writing it down or at least to prepare yourself for the calamity of a situation uh, when we're uh, specifically with like, like it's much easier to be horrible to people. Actually, in reality, it's much harder to like bear your soul and tell somebody that you love them and that you adore them and everything about them because it's kind of cringe in it for everybody involved. <laughs> um, whereas actually like spitting barbs at someone, it happens as easy as as pie. Um, yeah, Eddie Izzard came out uh, campaigning in my constituency, knocking on doors in massive heels. I was just like, this is, I mean, it's raining and your feet must really hurt. Um, but apparently not. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think, the 2017 general election. I think so, yeah, 2017 general election. Yep, so, I, I mean, I've pounded the pavement with Eddie. And uh, I, th- I think I tried to keep my cool. It's quite easy to keep your cool when people are also asking you about their bins. <laughs> yeah, true. Maybe that's the, the thing I need to set you up on a door knocking session with Eddie Izzard. And when people come and complain to you about the fact that the post office used to be open longer hours, uh, you, you, you know, there is a dose of reality to this situation. That I makes can imagine you- that's quite an equalising experience. Yeah. Yeah, so this, this as well as writing letters, uh, I think that maybe, like I should do, a who would you like to door knock with? Um, and we could actually do that. We could do, like, go out and actually do the door knocking. It would be very amusing. Um, people say very, very amusing things on doorsteps. Uh, but it, can you imagine what it's like if you knock on somebody's door and it's you with, with Eddie Izzard? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? I didn't know the rocks up at your door. So, oh, madam, have you got any local issues? And you stood there with Eddie Izzard. Would be a bit like, ooh, even if you've never heard of them, like you know, if you'd never heard of Eddie Izzard, and it, still quite a domineering presence. <laughs> yeah, would. yeah. So yeah, it's often fun when you do that. Uh, when like celebs come out and do a bit of political campaigning with you, it is you get a funny reaction. So how would you sign off this letter, this love letter, where you're going to totally keep your cool throughout this letter? So it's going to be fine. I think it would be thank you for connecting with me. These are all thank you letters. Have you noticed? I said I began saying I'm I'm banging to the thank you letters, but yeah, it did feel to me uh, watching those tapes like a, a moment of connection of somebody who, else who's got and and she describes it actually as being a lid thinker you know you're not you're not in the box but you're not totally out of the box either you're a lid thinker to to connect with a fellow lid thinker who's got that slightly surreal take on the world and that daft sense of humor but is really into learning as well I'd never known that there was another brain like that so it, it would be thank you for the connection you're, you're absolutely right about uh, comedy. When I, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, and alternative comedy that was about—I mean, obviously we were living in particular political times at the time—but it was it was like accessible philosophy, a lot of it, like that you you know I could sit down and watch with my mom and dad, which I would never have watched. Like I never watched like I didn't want to watch the the Leith Lectures or whatever they're called, the Reith Lectures. Um, But it was like accessible politics. Accessible politics is largely done through the medium of comedy. It's a really, really important medium um, for getting people involved. Also, laughing with somebody, 
Like there is, unless you make somebody cry, which I suppose you can do with sentimentality and good storytelling. But actually getting someone to laugh with you is the quickest way to make a shared emotion. Uh, and so it's very powerful. And actually politicians aren't very good at it. <laughs> and that is part of the problem. It's the quickest way to make someone learn something as well. And and I use humour a lot in the talks that I do in schools. And sometimes it doesn't land. And then I don't know what to do. Like, I'll make a joke and no one gets it. And I'll go, oh, okay. This is the biggest tool I have at my disposal to make you care about your own and others' mental health. Yeah, it is. I mean, also, yeah, that that is, there's nothing worse than when you say something that you think is funny and then nobody laughs. Oh, that's like... That's a bullet to the soul right there. Uh, it's, uh, it is difficult. But, you know, if I think about Eddie Izzard and I think about the comedy, certainly LGBT sort of inspired and uh, empowering comedy today, like, this is like real trailblazing. If you think of Eddie Izzard, like, I'm Joe, Joe Lycett is one of my best friends. And, like, you know, it all... it. A lot of that like gets to come from before, doesn't it? Because people blazed a trail on those things. Yeah. And I, I love the idea of it's not enough to be a a kind of genre defining comedian and to be able to do comedy in five different languages. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be in Hollywood movies and then I'm gonna run hundred and three marathons or <laughs> however. The greatest, you think that running a marathon is difficult. Eddie Izzard was on the National Executive Committee of the Labour Party. All I can say is I'd rather run 20 marathons. <laughs> Those meetings sometimes are like 15 hours long. I mean, like, imagine a meeting that long. <laughs> I get, do, do you know, I, so I get angry when I'm bored. And um, I went to a, a meeting with a, another campaigner at Parliament once where, I mean, I mean, lots of things have happened at Parliament that have made me angry. But on this particular occasion, I was just bored. And I always think I'm doing really well at maintaining a poker face, but I actually have a face that can't hide what I'm thinking. I remember we came out of the meeting and my friend said to me, you know, they can see you, right? Like <laughs> you have to get better. Yeah, I remember, I, I mean, I have had, because the press gallery looks down on us, um, and, I, like, I have had people send me things, like, from the press gallery, journalists saying things like, just your faces on camera, because I, I, I am literally going, like, oh, like, <laughs> just like, yeah, seriously, check your face out, <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm incapable of a poker face. I don't know how to play poker, and that is the way it's going to have to stay. Because I would literally be like, whoo, rubbing my hands together if I had it. I am just like physically cannot hide the way that I am feeling. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, and boredom, that is enough to make you angry. I mean. Because there's so many things that you could be doing with your life. And yet this person is forcing you to be bored. Yeah. And, <laughs> and especially like when you're talking about something like really quite serious. And you think in the time that I've been in this meeting, we could have you know, inoculated everybody in the Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> I'm like, that. seriously, we're talking about this more than we're doing anything. Like, we're going around and we're talking. Sometimes we have meetings about preparing for the meetings that we're going to have. And I think I'm lost. 
I'm 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 spiraling down the blood hole. I'm in a meeting, a pre-meeting about a meeting that's about a meeting. <laughs> uh, yeah, that happens a lot. So you know, marathon running, I actually think personally would be easier. <laughs> I would rather run a marathon. Um, and it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and your lovely thank you notes. Uh, it is nice. No one's ever like picked somebody that they really wanted to say something horrible about. Yeah, so I, I didn't make... even consider that as an option. No, no, nobody does, but that is good because really, this is like a place in the world where people can be nice when so many places are just toxic uh, and horrible and mean. Uh, that um, that yeah, it's nice when people can be nice. But I would like you know maybe one day someone to say thank you to this person who was just so awful that they taught me always the kind of person not to be. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll come back and do that another time. There yeah, are definitely am, some of those as well. Yeah, I am very, very grateful all my political life and will be for the rest of my political life. I'm grateful to Chris Grayling because I once had a meeting with him before I was a member of parliament and it undid all of my imposter syndrome. I was like, that. this dude, seriously? I can definitely become a member of parliament. So, you know, th th there is gratitude there, even if something's <laughs> quite negative. Still a thank you note. Thank you. I always think we should put Chris Grayling in charge of the patriarchy. <laughs> he broke him within the week. Um, so, well, Natasha, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and I will come on to LBC soon and we can chat some more. So thank you so much for sharing your brilliant people with us. Thanks for coming out. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? You could also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.